This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I do appreciate it for another awesome episode. Today we're going to be talking to Queensland hunter Joshua Barnett. Uh, He's from Queensland and I know he likes to hunt wild dogs, uh, which is something we haven't really discussed on the show before. Certainly something I'd like to do in the future, hunting wild dogs. I've never actually, well, I have seen one on a property before. Uh, Not sure if it was the neighbor's dog. I don't think it was. It was fair. It was in the middle of a state forest, actually. Um, But I think in that particular state forest, you couldn't actually hunt dogs at the time. And I was hunting deer, so I just obviously moved along with my day. Uh, But that's something he likes to do. And I know a lot of people really like hunting wild dogs, and they're certainly one of those animals that can be a little bit difficult. I've heard lots of stories about people being out in the bush and, you know, these dogs howling at 3 a.m. in the morning and sometimes they can certainly make the hair stand up on the back of your neck and and they're just very hard to hunt sometimes. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time people do it on private property over sometimes a spotlight, but sometimes obviously using thermal vision uh, or night vision seems to be uh, one of the popular ways to to hunt wild dogs and certainly something I want to do for the future, that's for sure. Uh, I want to thank all my Patreon supporters that support me and continue with the show going. I really do appreciate you guys. We did have some giveaways just recently, so I hope you guys, probably by the time you hear this podcast, uh, you would have received uh, those prizes. We had a boar scope. I think we had some horny scales. We had a gum bag. We had a ultrasonic cleaner. So congratulations to all the people that won those prizes uh it's you know, great i like to give back to people uh some of the things we've had in the past a lot of people know were some of my stuff and I'll, i could sell them but i like to give back to people within the industry and people that are you know supporting me so i really really appreciate that guys uh today's going to be a wonderful wonderful show josh seems like a fantastic guy who certainly loves his hunting if you want to email me for any reason australian hunting podcast at gmail.com you can go to the website australian hunting podcast.com.au of course you can find the podcast on a, I don't know, a million different places now. I think we just got on Spotify a few months ago. Uh, what else are we on? We're on Podbean. We're on the course you listen to it on the website. I upload it to YouTube. Uh, yeah, it's just pretty much everywhere. What are some other ones? Um, Castbox was another one we've got running. Um, Stitcher is another one. Pretty much just type in Australian Hunting Podcast and you can find us somewhere on the internet. Uh, we've also got the Facebook page now, over 40,000 people supporting us on the Facebook page. Join us on Instagram as well at Australian Hunting Podcast. I don't really use Twitter that much. It's just not really something that really interests me. I do post the show on there, but that's pretty much about it. Uh, and also one of my other uh, YouTube channels too, AHP Outdoors. Uh, that's my hunting channel. I don't get to put a lot of stuff up on there, um, but I've been shooting bunnies and making videos about that. So a lot of people have been liking those. Thank you very much for that. Subscribe. It's really crazy because I was talking to um, a YouTuber the other day, Nathan from Edge of the Outback. Really, really nice guy. If you know, haven't uh, seen his channel or his videos, yeah, check him out. And it's it's quite interesting how a lot of people that view your 
uh, videos, about 85 to 90% of people that watch your videos aren't subscribed. So that's just crazy. And he said he has the exact same thing. So it, it is just a bit of a side project for me when I'm able to get out. I do like making a few videos. I've always loved it. A lot of people that know me, know me. Uh, I used to film weddings many, many years ago. So I do love that editing process. And I do like sharing uh, when I do get the opportunity to go out. Uh, those hunting videos so subscribe if you'd like ahp outdoors there's a lot of great hunting content uh on the internet that's for sure especially on youtube and uh as we all like to do when we're not out hunting we like to watch other people hunt <laughs> well that's what i like to do anyway i know you guys do too because i see the good numbers on some of these youtube channels and they do make some uh, some fantastic content like nathan uh we've got uh, steve robinson from uh, bolt action productions tony gillahan a lot of guys out there make really really good content so uh check them out on the internet Anyway, uh, like I think I said before, if you want to email me, Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com. Again, patreon.com forward slash AHP if you'd like to you know, throw a few bucks my way and support the show. Um, I know there's a lot of people that get, email me all the time, guys. I get so many emails, and I'm really sorry if I don't get back to you right away. I, I really, really am. You know, I've got a full-time job like most people, and sometimes you know, I get really, really long, excellent emails that I love to read and really want to do spend my time to write back you know, a proper response to those people. So if I haven't got back to you straight away, I will get back to you. I promise I promise about that. You know, that, that, That's just definitely what I like to do is get back to people that write really good emails. I've received really good ones, uh, especially the last couple of weeks. And uh, I have people say to me, guys they they just can't support the show financially that's fine if you can't do that i'd like you to if you can't share the show on your facebook page your instagram your instagram stories what twitter whatever it may be that's how you can get the show that's how you can say thanks to me by sharing it with your friends and family especially on social media and getting that word out for me i'd really really appreciate it and uh i think we're not far off if we haven't already we've basically hit 10 years of podcasting i mean the longest running uh hunting shooting and fishing podcast in australia and uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. I'm still here 10 years later. I think I started it when I was just, just hit 30. And I'm just about to hit 40 on uh, April uh, 12th, uh, 2021. I'll be 40 years old. Where does the time go? But uh, it makes it, it is true, guys. It does make us look back and say to ourselves, you know, do as much as you can now before you're too old to get around. You're too old to do these things, you know. Um, get out and do them now while you can because, uh, you know, life's not guaranteed, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, we love this hunting, we love this culture, and uh, let's make the most of it. But uh, anyway, I think we should crack on and get into our interview with Josh Barnett. So let's get to it. Josh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for accepting my offer to have a chat not about hunting in Queensland we're going to talk a little bit about uh, hunting wild dogs which is something I haven't done before so welcome to the show thanks for joining me thanks Jason appreciate it mate um, very very commendable uh, what you're doing mate uh, with your podcast and helping all us hunters kind of come together love it tell us about yourself man um, yeah just everything about Josh who is he what does he do what does he like to do and uh, I guess give the listeners a bit of a bit of a rounded approach about who you are Mate, um, I'm a 44-year-old married man. I've got uh, three little kids under nine. Um, I live uh, in the Darling Downs in Queensland, which is um, uh, Toowoomba, west of Toowoomba, in a town called Dolby. Um, I grew grew up uh, in Meribah, uh in Queensland on a pig and cattle property. Um, we left that property when I was uh, kind of 10, 11, and, and moved down, unfortunately, into New South Wales. Um, it's a cockroach country. And, um, <laughs> mate, um, yeah, did, did, a, did a bit of schooling down there. Uh, family eventually moved back to 
Queensland, did a bit more schooling there. Um, mate, I did a bit of uni in, in Toowoomba and in Brisbane. I've done a bit of travelling through through Europe. Um, I lived in in Ireland for a couple of years over there and um, eventually kind of found out the, the line of work that I wanted to do when I moved back to Australia and um, headed to a country town near Gundawindi, um, which is where I met uh, the bride. And, um, mate, we spent a few years there. We then travelled a bit around Australia. We lived there for a couple of years in Karratha and then um, eventually you know, moved to Dolby, where I am now, probably 10 plus years ago and, and settled down and um, and started our family. Um, mate, uh, obviously, you know, I uh, love to hunt, but, um, you know, growing up on properties and so forth, there was you know, dirt bikes and fishing and horses and, and all that type of stuff uh, that you did as kids that you, you know, start to do again when you, your own kids kind of come along. And I was about to say, you, you did live, you know, sometime in New South Wales, so you'd be a New South Wales Blues supporter, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely not, mate. No, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually the. Uh, it gets worse. I'm, uh, I'm the only uh, member of my family that was born in Queensland. They were all, uh, all born in Victoria, which you know, you know, is, is worse than New South Wales in some people's opinions. So, <laughs> yeah. So no, no. We, we, when we, when we resided in Queensland, we uh, uh, eventually um, all became, became you know, Maroon supporters, mate, and um, you know, gratefully so. I know, I, was, uh, I know you know one of my previous guests, Juan, and uh, he wasn't very happy on the weekend, just uh, the first round of the NRL series, and I know he supports the Broncos, and our, I thought I got, about to, got to about half time of watching the Parramatta Eels, that's my team, and uh, they weren't doing that well. I thought, ah, stuff this, is, you know, uh, typical start to the year for the Eels, you know, 16-0 sure, down at half time, yeah. and then I was just, I didn't even watch it, and then I saw one of Juan's stories on uh, Instagram, and he's blowing <laughs> blowing up on Instagram about a bad call from the Broncos. Then I looked at the score. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, Eels 24, Broncos 16. How good is this? Then I gave him a bit of ribbing on Facebook, you know, as you do. So Yeah, he loves his footy, mate. He's, uh, he's, he's hardcore, you know. If there's, um, if there's no telly or nothing available and you're out in the middle of the bushes, He's uh, intently listening to it on AM, mate. Just not missing a beat. Yeah. I know, mate. How did you? How did you get into? I mean, obviously, growing up, you know, cattle probably a station. How did you sort of get into hunting? Was it something you did? Was it your know, mum, dad? Was it you know, family, yeah. uncle? What was it? Yeah, so it, mate, it was it was just a part of life, really. Uh, being born on a farm, um, you know, we were around guns from a young age. You know, air rifles and twenty twos and all that type of stuff. Um, brother and I used to shoot. Uh, feral cats um, on the dead pig pile on on the pig farm, um, you know. There was a, almost a gun above the back back door of the house, you know. Like we'd kill, my dad would kill snakes, you know, every second week, king browns and Taipan country and all that type of stuff. So, um, you know, it was always part of part of life growing up. You know, I, I kind of had a fairly big gap from it. Um, strangely enough, you know, when we moved. You know, to the city, and um, and then when we eventually moved back to to Queensland, we had a run a lot smaller property, and Dad made the decision that we we're going to handle our guns back um, in '96 with the when the buy, gun buyback came on, and all that terrible shit happened in in Tasmania. You know, so from from then till you know six or seven years ago, I I had a, a fair gap away from from shooting and hunting, um, and probably yeah six or seven years ago. Um, I scratched that itch probably a little bit too hard, mate, and and, and all those gates just opened up again. Um, you know, I got my license back and then 
really started to appreciate being back out in the bush again um, and, yeah, just had that desire to, to, to hunt, you know, and, and, to, and to help, you know. So much of what we did as, as, as kids and on the farm was helping out the neighbours and, you know, we'd, we'd shoot foxes that were killing chickens or, you know, um, get rid of rabbits because they were eating the veggie patch and, you know, a lot of that kind of came back to me when I got back into hunting recently um, and probably one of the reasons I started chasing uh, wild dogs is, you know, it's, it's, it's helping people out, you know. It was, um, it's a good cause kind of thing, you know. You know exactly. Yeah, when you were growing up there, like what was the you know sort of main quarry on the on the farm or the station? What did you sort of come up against on the especially up there? What you know Queensland? Yeah, not, yeah mainly snakes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a few mainly, up there. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, mate. Well, you know that Meribar area is all cane fields and all that, and we're we're a bit south of there. But um, yeah, mate. You know. Cats were were breeding prolifically, you know, because it was a pretty big pig farm. It was 15,000 uh, 15, pigs. It was 1,500 sows. So there was, you know, a dozen or more big big pig sheds with all the silos. So mice were prolific. And then and then these these feral bobtail cats, um, you know, you know, were just out of control. So kind of taking out them was the main thing that we did, you know. We did used to shoot a, a few rabbits and that type of stuff, but, um, you know, there was a fair bit of other pursuing of, of you know, fishing and so forth as well. It was it was on the Mary River, so we used to um, catch mullet, you know, like bobbing for mullet with cane rods, um, like you catch carp. And my brother and I used to pull catfish out of the dams and, and um, cut their spines off and, and take them up, you know, fill them and take them up to the house and mum and... Um, ungratefully, um, you know, powder them and bread crumb, you know, flour them and bread crumb and, and cook them up, and um, you know, it was it, that kind of hunter gatherer kind of thing was was in us was in us then, and it's, it kind of came back with a vengeance. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, when you have got like those cane fields or even just you know general cropping, you know, especially when the crops sort of get high. It's amazing what when you see a harvester, what actually comes out sometimes. Uh. You know, during that year, sometimes you've got pigs you don't see, you've got foxes, you've got rabbits. And an interesting one you brought up there too, I was wondering why the snakes would be abundant. Why, is it because of the uh, high amount of mice or those small yeah. games? I wouldn't call them yeah, game, exactly. really. i just call them pests, to be honest. But is there a lot of mice up there or what? what how come so yeah, many well, snakes? Yeah, well, around all, the, um, around all the silos and all that where all the feed was for the pigs, you know, like that was just a magnet for, for birds and we used to sit there and shoot pigeons and slug guns and stuff and, yeah, you know, all of that attracted in the snakes. Um, and it, it was wild country, you know, like it was a – the property was a bit over 20,000 acres, so you, you're pretty, you know, isolated and, and untouched. You know, we used to – there were five, six hundred head of cattle, and, and I think there was probably a hundred head of horses as well. So, you know, there was feed laying out for them. They'd be fed at different times of the year, and yeah, mate, we we'd see snakes every day. You'd, you'd drive over, you'd run over snakes on the way to school. You know, um, we'd run over them on our on our dirt bikes. So just yeah, and, and deadly ones. You know, like king browns are. Uh, pretty nasty snakes, mate. They're big, big snakes, and same with taipans. You, you haven't got long if one of them gets you. No, exactly. We're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. 
Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. One thing I forgot to mention, Josh, at the start of my program is when you just heard that ad from Camo Warehouse. Use AHP10, guys, when you check out, get 10% off. Totally forgot to mention at the beginning. I always do this, but, uh, you know, why pay more? <laughs> I tell people, like, yeah, they sponsor the show. I'm happy to promote them as well. They pay for advertising. But, again, why pay more when you can bloody get 10% off? What are you waiting for? So, anyway, but I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at you. This is one that I didn't have on my list, something we just spoke about. Now, a lot of married men out there, right, they love to go hunting. Uh, they probably got a couple of kids, sometimes three, such as yourself. Now, how do you get away hunting, mate? That's that, That's what they want to know. The biggest question is, how do you convince the wife, especially when you've got three kids under nine, the married men listening to the show are saying, holy shit, how do I get away? How do I book in time to go hunting? <laughs> tell us the secret, yeah. Mate, um... <laughs> I was hoping you were going to tell them. <laughs> mate, uh... Yeah, it is a tricky one. Um, you know, I, I married a girl from the bush that, that grew up around, um, you know, guns and, and, and all of that uh, and cattle and sheep and all of that. So it kind of wasn't really a, a difficult uh, thing to get into, you know. It was, it was quite commonplace. Um, and I, I think I'm in a pretty fortunate position, like what I hunt locally, you know, there's probably a dozen or more properties that I hunt you know, in the direct vicinity, um, you know, the closest is 18 minutes from my house. The furthest is kind of 45 minutes and most of them are kind of 20 or 30 minutes. So to to get away is is doesn't really take that long, you know. Like the, the time of day that I hunt um, and that I've had most success with dogs um, is, on, is on dawn. So, you know, it involves probably more – sacrificing sleep than than missing out on stuff with the kids because I could be up at three or three thirty or four o'clock in the morning and and out you know uh, on site you know half an hour plus before the sun gets up and like some some mornings I might be home by by nine o'clock um, in the morning you know like kids have only been up for a little bit you know this is might have had to sleep in and it, it doesn't really have a massive impact um, on the family that way um, you know obviously trips going away you know uh, are a lot more a lot more difficult um, you know we've got two two kids at school in grade one and grade four and a little fella at um, He's still, you know, at daycare um, during the week. So uh, when I go away during the weeks, it's yeah, it's it's a long build up of brownie points and racking them up so that um, <laughs> yeah. so that when it does come to that, and, and the same with your forward planting, you know, you, you plant that plant that seed, you know, uh, obviously this year the, the 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 seed for the rut was planted, you know, two years ago because obviously didn't hunt it last year because of COVID, so. You know, once it's uh, out in the open and it's on the radar, you know, and it's not a new idea and it's not something that you've just come up with, um, you know, uh, it's certainly easier to, 
to negotiate. You know, but you, you've got to make sacrifices uh, on both ends of the spectrum, mate. I've, I've missed out on plenty, um, and, and so is she, um, from wanting one of us to pursue our hobbies and, and do that type of thing. It's probably one of the biggest questions I get is that one and also and one thing I've thought about for a long time too. I mean, you obviously being out of a major city um, or pretty much anyway, like I live in Western Sydney, a lot of people live, you know, Melbourne, you know, maybe Adelaide or Brisbane mm. himself or, you know, whatever, you know, big city they come from and they go, how do I, you know, and I've thought about it too. You're like, you know, how do I move to a smaller area? You know, how do you move away from friends and family to get more hunting opportunities? Are there jobs, uh, you know, in those particular areas that they want to go to? I mean, that's something I want to do. I don't plan on being in Sydney my whole life. I think it's fucking pretty shit, to be honest. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's got mm. some good parts, but, you know, a lot of my friends are here, you know, it's a, but I do want to get away. I do want to, you know, have more hunting opportunities. People ask that, well, how do you get jobs in these areas? You know, a lot of people have, you know, have grown up in some of these smaller towns. And they know people and they've got jobs. And how do people migrate to some of these areas, you know, to, to get more hunting opportunities? And as you just said, you know, being, you know, 20 minutes away from a hunt, 45 minutes, that's not too bad. I mean, for me, it's two and a half, at least three hours before I could even consider, you know, pulling mm. the trigger on an animal. You know, yeah, I want to go to the range and shoot 50 metres. That's 15 minutes away boring as batshit to me and probably boring as batshit to a lot of people you know but you know want to get out hunting and how do we do that and you know how do we get it you know how do we, how, do, how can we make this happen and, and what changes do we need to make remember to do a show on that but i don't know yeah it's all about jobs though isn't it you know if you can't yeah, no point moving to an area if you can't you know, be self-sufficient or you don't have a job so yeah but i think the the thing that people you know like i've never been out of work in in my life um and i've lived in you know towns of 2,000 people, you know, like Dolby's only just over 10,000 people. Um, you know, you've got to have that willingness to, to want to work and then you just make it happen, you know. Like um, it, it might be outside your field, outside your comfort zone, but that's the reason you you want that tree change, you know. That's the reason you leave the city because you, you want to try something different. So, you know, it, it's, it's easier said than done in a lot of situations, but mate, I've worked in multiple different you know, industries in my career, um, you know, when we moved over to Caratha, um, I literally sat there for the first week looking at the local paper, just circling random jobs with a red pen going, I might apply for that, I might apply for that. Like, we were over there working. My wife's a civil engineer, so she had a contract to work over there. So it didn't really matter what I did, and I got completely out of my comfort zone. I found work because I wanted to work, you know, and I did. Oh, odd ends here and there. I did maintenance work for a real estate agent. I, you know, um, did did a whole variety of things. You know, I found that there's always a job for someone that wants to work. You know, if people want to be pick and choose and, and not try something different, they they'll run into that problem. They won't won't be able to find exactly what they want to do. Mm. It's like some people don't know any different. Like I live in the biggest city, you know, pretty much the biggest city in Australia. Like, I mean, you've moved around a fair bit. I mean, mm. you know, I love getting out to these small areas, whereas I've got friends too that they're from the city and they go, like, I love getting into these areas, you know, but they go, I, could, mm. I couldn't do it permanently, though, they say to me, you know, sometimes yeah. they, I'm, I've got to get back to, I said, but why, you know, so from someone as yourself that's, you know, moved around a fair bit, I mean, how do you compare sort of, you know, largest city living to, to say, you know, a population of 10,000. What are the sort of, you know, the differences? Is it better? I mean, is it, am I just hoping this is going to be better? And then if I actually do move to a town of 15, 20, 50,000, 10,000, go, oh, fuck, I didn't think it was going to be, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be, you know? Like, is it, is it, is it as good yeah. as it cracked up to be or am I making too much out of it? 
Oh, well, you know, you've you've got to know that you want to change, you know. So any any change, in, in some people's opinion, is a good change. I, I I've lived lived in the cities, and you know, I enjoyed the metropolis and all of that. But um, you know, you can move to country towns nowadays, you know, and, and not miss out on everything you need. You know, you need to miss out on like people think you do. Oh, you can't even buy this in that town or whatever. And you know, you, you can. You know, this this town's got probably more than what a lot of towns would have um, that are this size. Like, you know, all the major franchises are here, you know, got Aldi and Coles and Woolies and, you know, all the bottle shops and, and you know, fast food places and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, you, you've got to be willing to sacrifice things as well. Like people want to, you know, not live in the city, but they won't. Not willing to sacrifice eating out all the time, you know. Like, there's there's got to be things that are going to be a benefit to you when you move to a country town, and missing out on those things in city life are going to be worthwhile. Like, do you still want to be going out clubbing when you're 35, 40, 45, 50? You know, like there'll be things that that replace that. There'll be, you know, um, activities that you want to do that you can, you know, do differently in the bush. You know, people have got it need a change or have a desire for a change to be able to leave if if they don't want to leave and they think they're not willing to sacrifice something they they won't be happy anywhere than where they are yeah i totally agree my mates always laugh at me when i said mate all i want is just a property big enough preferably to shoot on but if it's not that big just want a property big enough to get a ride on lawnmower. That's my goal, yeah. you know. My mates laugh at me and they go, why would you want to do that? And I go, I don't know, man. Ever since my dad used to run it, like, yeah, he was a truck driver for 20 years. Then he got into his own mowing business and got clients. And I helped him. I think this is not that crash hot, but, you know, just a ride on lawnmower. I don't know. I just want one. Yeah. <laughs> and, think, and You're crazy, you man. You get sick of that doing two hours a week mowing. I said, I don't think I will. I really don't think I will. No, and you won't regret it because you, you you've already made that step that that's something that you want to do. So that'll just be one thing on top of another dozen things that you'll enjoy about about the change. You know, like they, they recently put traffic lights in this town. There used to be like four sets of traffic lights. Now there's like a dozen, and and I said to the missus, "That's it. I'm moving. There's too many traffic lights here. I'm I'm, I'm over it." You know, like I used to be able to get to work in four minutes, and it now takes eight minutes. Like that's. <laughs> this, is, this place is turning into a city. It was too, too much for me. I remember just the other day, my mate goes, oh, what, what would you get? I said, I don't know. I haven't even looked it up. But I, said, I remember watching some dude, I don't know, it was in my list on um, you know, on the smart TV, and I caught this guy to ride on. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm have a look. Man, I thought, I'm in the wrong game. I should not be podcasting. And he goes, why? And I said, have you watched these lawn care dudes on the internet, on YouTube? And he goes, nah. Why would I? And I said, well, yeah, I agree, but... Mate, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views, like millions even sometimes. Yes. Apparently people like to watch people mow grass, and I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, I'm in the wrong game. I've got to start doing that. <laughs> it's crazy, you know? <laughs> but anyway, let's let's get back on track. We'll get back on track. Sorry to my uh, listeners, but anyway, it's been a bit of a laugh anyway. But, uh, mate, favourite game, what do you like? What do you uh, like to hunt? Yeah, uh, that's pretty fairly obvious for me. It, it, it is wild dogs. Um, you know, not only are they kind of local to me, but you know they're they are a fair problem um, in this area in this extended area. You know that there's something that's that's quite different about hunting um, a hunter. You know, hunting a predator. Um, you know, they don't really have any predators except for blokes like us. So, you know, going after something like that and, and learning its habits. 
um, and, and trying to pattern it, um, I believe, you know, makes makes one a better hunter in itself because you, you, you're kind of trying to duplicate what they're doing in order to get them. Um, I've always had that, you know, they're a little bit like pigs to me. If you see a, a, a wild dog or, or a pig out there in the bush, they just stand out. They, they look like they're out of place. They, they, they're just intriguing to me. Um, you, you don't see a lot of wild dogs or well, a lot of people don't see a lot of wild dogs you know like a, a lot of the properties that i hunt um people wouldn't didn't really know that they there were so many dogs in the area um until i started showing them you know trail camera footage and, and then started sending them photos of of you know them, them dead sitting on a log with me behind them with a gun um you know that they just they really do something uh, for me, you know. Um, I, I can't, you know, kind of put my finger on it, but it's uh, it's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword in their intriguingness and, and also the fact that it's really helping, you know, the, these locals with 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 their livestock, you know, with their um, with their income source, you know, with all that type of stuff. We've, you know, we've got family members that have, um, you know, nearly had to hand it all back to the bank because of wild dogs. Um, you know, they can be, they can really just shut down um, areas of agriculture, you know, it's, that's pretty well been proven with, with the sheep industry and, um, you know, you only need a, a wild dog to mark up a, a steer or, or a calf and, you know, its, it's value is halved when it goes to market. So, um, yeah, they're just, they're, just really unique uh, to me, you know. Don't get me wrong; I, I love dogs. We've, we've got three kelpies. Um, you know, I've I've had problems, you know, scalping dogs for for their um for their bouncy because you know I do like I do like the animals, you know. But um, it, it is kind of different when um, you, you firsthand see the damage that they're doing, you know. Perfect, guys. Quick break and be right back. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit osaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Mate, just stepping back uh, a little bit, um, mm. you know, when you like, yeah, tell people, I guess it's probably you know, common fares of quite a lot of hunters in Queensland, you know, but you, you've met new people or through work or whatever it may have been. What did they say when you, they end up, you know, do you sort of keep it a secret? Do they find out, oh, shit, this bloke's a hunter? Oh, oh, what do you, you know, do they normally say anything or are they just put a bit off or is it most people are pretty good or? Yeah, it, it's it's pretty, I wouldn't say commonplace out here, but, you know, that there's a, in these parts of the world where agriculture is so dominant, you know, there's roo shooters and, and, and pig chasers, um, you know, left, right and centre. You know, like you, you'll see roo shooting utes around town um, and, and, you know, the same with, you know, early mornings. You might be running to get a coffee somewhere. You'll see a, a ute sneaking back with uh, to the box with, you know, half a dozen pigs or whatever on the back of it. So, you know, it, it's not so um, unusual, you know, um, and it's not something that you hide from people. People usually um, find out about it one way or one way or another. And 
you know, they're usually intri- intrigued with it. You know, like I've, I still meet people, you know, not every week, but I still meet people frequently that don't even know that there's deer in Australia. You know, that people that don't know that there is a such thing as a wild dog or a hybrid dog, like thought they were just all dingoes. Like you can you can still live out here, and people are still living in their little cubes, not not knowing. Um, you know, I've never, you know, apart from the odd peanut now and then on Instagram. Um, you know, encountered any of that kind of, you know, abuse or confrontation um, on it. You know, I, I certainly get people confused over, you know, the fact that they think we're shooting dingoes, um, but, you know, they don't really need too much of that explained to them uh, to realise that they're not dingoes, that they are wild dogs and that, you know, they're, they're feral animals, you know. They they need to be not only controlled, but we're we're, we're legally within our right. Um, you know, we're paid bounties to do it. You know, we're contractors are engaged to do it. It's it, it's above board and commonplace. Yeah, let's talk about that wild dog. So I find that very interesting. Never shot a wild dog before, but um, yeah, tell us about wild dogs. I mean, interesting to hunt. I mean, I've never, I'd like to get the opportunity one day, certainly if I come across it, but I know that sometimes they can be uh, sort of a very elusive and um, trying to get on them can be a little bit difficult. Yeah, that, and that's the appeal, mate. Um, you know, that they are so elusive. They, they are like ghosts, you know. As I said before, you know, farmers will have them on their place and, and wouldn't know that they were there, you know. They, they might see prints every now and then and, might think it was a fox or whatever. Um, yeah, they are they are difficult to hunt. Um, they're difficult to pattern. You know, like you can pattern pigs reasonably, you know, easily. They don't follow too many different circuits or routes. You know, they're they're a heart, they're a hoofed animal, so it's easy to pick up on their trails and, and where they go and what type of loops they're doing when they're watering. You know, where they're watering. Um, you know, dogs aren't like that. Um, and there's a lot of confusion, in, in my opinion, about what they actually eat and, and what they're actually um, hunting and killing and, and how they're surviving, you know. Like, it's, it's common knowledge that they do live on a lot of um, native animals, you know. They eat lizards and spiders and snakes and, and, and grasshoppers and all that type of stuff, you know. And I think when they're kicked out of the den when they're, when they're quite young, that's probably all they, they eat until they can get um, – you know, something a bit larger, you know, maybe like a, a rabbit or a hare and there's plenty of, not a lot of rabbits around here, but there's, there's certainly uh, certainly hares around here. Um, you know, from from animals that I've dissected, I'm seeing that they're pretty well living mainly on wallabies. Um, there's a lot of cropping and so forth around here that um, that is sorghum and wheat and so forth and you know wallabies are just getting fat and slow chewing on those things they're they're not as fast as, as roos you know um roos can probably outrun a dog um so they, they're consuming those things so the, the formula i kind of put together is is you know working out where their food source is if, if they're mainly eating wallabies you know they've got to be wallabies in that area you know, um, there's got to be a water source, obviously, and, and they don't like noise and population and roads and all that type of stuff. They're, they're going to stay away from from highways or, or you know even bitumen roads and so forth. Um, you know, they w- once you kind of work out the area, the area they're living, it's 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 just persistence. To be honest, like I tell people that you know 
one in ten wild dog hunts can be successful and they're like, fuck, why do you bother? You know, like that's that's not a real good, you know, success rate. But um that's if I was to crunch numbers on it, it'd probably be pretty close, you know. I'm I'm fortunate to be able to hunt thirty plus times a year. So um, you know, looking at those type of numbers, that's, that's you know, some years you have cracking years, you know, like two thousand and nineteen, I think I took a, a dozen or more dogs out, which was absolutely you know, unheard of, you know, trappers and so forth do big numbers, but I think people that are actually just tracking them on foot like, like I do, um, you know, that's 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 a pretty hard um, kind of result to get. They 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 do really take a lot of time and a lot of effort, and I use a lot of trail cameras. Um, you know, you can pattern what time of the day they're moving or what. Um, direction they're moving in and you can have it all in place and then you can go out there eight times and you won't even see a fresh print or see an animal um you know i do find that they they do hunt um at night when it's a full moon um and you know they're moving around in the mornings and in the, in, in the early mornings and even late mornings when the moon is small. So, you know, if they're hunting when there's a full moon, they're asleep by the time the sun gets up. Um, but, you know, because they, they can see at night a lot better with a full moon. Like out here, it's it's like floodlights when it's a full moon. You can, you'd be able to shoot an animal without a spotlight, you know, some nights when the moon's full. Um, so, yeah, when that moon's small and the, narcs, the, the nights are dark, they're, um, they're hunting into the morning and, Mate, 90% of the dogs I would have shot would be between, you know, first light and 9am in the morning. Like that, that's that's kind of where I've had most of my success. What damage have you seen them do, like on the on these farms, or like what are they? What are you? Uh, what have you sort of seen in regards to how much damage they do, and what what do they like to do? And obviously harass probably bloody sheep and so forth and other bits and pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, they'll kill sheep, no problem. Um, you know, I've firsthand witnessed the first time I witnessed it. Um, I saw a pack of five mustering a mob of steers. Um, you know, I was about I was a, about five six hundred meters away, maybe a bit more, and and they were literally two old dogs were flanking this mob of steers. It would have been fifteen steers, like decent sized steers, like two hundred plus kilos. There was a dog either side flanking them, and there were kind of two, three at the rear, just seeing if there's going to be a steer drop off, or if there's a weaker one, or if one trips or whatever. Um, and and then they, in this occasion, when I witnessed it, they didn't, no steers did anything um, that they were kind of looking for, and they probably chased them for about a kilometre and then just dropped off. Um, but, you know, in another situation, I've seen three dogs, one of them, which was an older dog, um, literally snapping at the front heels of a, of a, of a bigger steer. Um, and the third waited until its head came, uh, the steer's head came down to the ground and, and latched straight onto its, um, onto its jugular, you know, like a, like a, like, like a wolf, you know, it was, it, it was unreal. Um, I didn't think they would have had any chance whatsoever of pulling, down an animal that big, but they seem to have done it before. In that situation, I I pulled a shot. Um, I was hesitant to shoot because I was so close to the steer, um, and the shot ended up falling short. Um, and they obviously bolted, you know, um, which which saved saved the animal. But um, 
to the smaller smaller animals, you know, to smaller um, cattle, you know, calves and so forth. Um, yeah, I've seen plenty of ones killed by them. But they seem to treat cattle and sheep as sport. You know, they're they're um, they're fun for them. They they hunt them, they they chase them, they kill them, and then they just leave them. Um, I've, I've had cameras on on you know almost potty size um, calves uh, and over. You know, a battery life of a camera, so four to five weeks, four to six weeks. Um, a dog, that dog is none of those dogs have ever come back to that carcass. Like the carcass I came across in this situation was probably 24 hours old. It wasn't bloated yet. Um, I put a camera straight on it, and and all that ate ate that um, calf was wedge tails and crows. Yeah, no, no dogs came back to visit it. So, you know, that, that kind of proved to me that in, in this area and in this situation, they're just um, hunting for the, thr- for the thrill of it. Also, too, I was just wondering, hey, when you see the, the wild dogs, do you, I mean, how many are you sort of seeing in a group normally? Yeah, it, it can vary. You know, I've seen big packs um, up to seven or eight in a pack, you know, um, on camera. Some of the packs I've seen with my own eyes, can be, you know, three or four or five. I mean, they, they start getting really dangerous once they mob up like that um, because they they can they work together, you know, they hunt together, um, like I was saying earlier. So um, a lot of animals I'll see will be solo, you know, and it might be just a, a rogue male or a, or a bitch that's, um, you know, looking for a rogue male. Um, you know, more often than not, um, I'll be coming across singular dogs um, but yeah, you know, it's a, they're a lot easier to, to come across when you're in a pack because there's a lot more movement. Um, they stand out a bit more because you're seeing multiple objects moving on a horizon or, or through the bush. Um, and they certainly do seem to be territorial. I've taken out a couple of big dogs, a couple of, you know, close to 30 kilo dogs. And within two weeks, I've shot another big dominant male in that area. And, and he was not in that area before that. That first dog was taken out. So, you know, they, they, they say with a lot of predators, you know, you've got your apex and then once uh, once it's removed, you know, next in line and it takes the throne kind of thing, which is evident of what I've seen. Yeah, I know. I've been out sometimes. I think I've been, been hunting in, you know, state forests or even sometimes on some private land where I've not seen any dogs before. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's like at 2 a.m. in the morning. And, the, and it's not foxes or anything like that because I know the sound and you hear these dogs just howling and I'm like, holy shit, all right, get the guts out just in case. they, <laughs> You know, because I've, I've heard stories. I've heard guys being, um, you know, they've, they've just been, you know, I think people have even told it on this show before very early, on, very early on in the podcast. And, you know, one guy was sitting there sort of waiting for deer and just sort of having a rest on his little, you know, sort of little chair up against a tree and, he just sort of felt the the you know the, the hair stand up on the back of his neck and then he sort of turned around about twenty metres, these two wild dogs basically mm. starting to stalk in on him. He goes, Luckily I just he goes, Oh, the only other thing I heard was because it was a bit dry. I heard one move and then you know, I'm like, Holy shit, is that a deer? And he goes, No, it turns out I'm just staring at bloody two wild dogs and they're staring at me and he's like, I knew something was up. I just couldn't he goes, for about probably two minutes before I heard the crunch of leaves or a little bit of leaves. He goes, I just knew something was up and then he goes, By the end of it 
hurt. I ended up seeing f- there was five of them, not just two. There was like, oh, two yeah. on the other side too. And he goes, oh, man, I, I just got up, grabbed my chair, gave him a boo. And he goes, oh, man, if I had to, I was I was ready to you know take action if necessary. But he shoot, <laughs> shoot him right between the eyes if it came down to it. But he goes, I ended up just giving him, you know, and they, they sort of just they mm. took off, they buggered off, you know, because they weren't probably weren't sure what his was, but they thought he was some type of game. Maybe they smelled him. i got no idea. But he goes, man, that two minutes is I knew something was up. It was the most eerie two minutes of my life, and I didn't know why it was happening. And then I just heard the crunch, turned around, thought it might have been a deer. That's what it was. He is nah, it was bloody two wild dogs. Those two turned into four. You know, I did not, not see the other two until they were, you know, maybe 20, 15, 20 metres away. And then he goes, I got up with the gun. I was like, you know, and then they ducked they just bolted. But he goes, they could, you know, could have been a lot different if I hadn't have, hadn't have turned or they hadn't have, you know, crunched on the, um, you know, the leaves. And that would have been very, goes, oh, you know, who knows? It would have latched onto my neck. Who knows? Mm, mm, no, obviously, you know, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but obviously there was a kid dragged out of a tent on Fraser and, you know, like the – they're getting bolder and bolder. Of you know, one property I, I hunt locally, um, he lost three calves in a pen like 200 meters from his house one night. You know, so for him to come up that close, you know, uh, to a house at night with you know, in in the country in the bush, TV probably would have been blaring, lights would have been on. Like you know, that's uh, it's pretty bold. You know, like when they get to that point, they're um, they're either really hungry or they you know. Just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, I know. It's um, it's even a lot of people don't even know. And this is a this is a big one too. That I've got a lot of friends, and as you get you got, you got young kids as well. I've had friends that have wanted to to come hunting before, and they got quite young children. And and whilst that's fine, I tell them just just be careful. And they're like, "What do you mean?" And I say, mm. "Well, you know, I've heard stories, and, I'm, and again, I've heard stories from you know been around the traps, talking to a few hunters and stuff. And you know, you got a young baby that's two or three years old, four years old, even probably normally younger than that. Generally, uh, that that baby's out in the open and it's crying. I said, mate, I've seen people have seen foxes within three to four meters of those babies." Right, uh, when the opportunity arises, because they because they think they crying, they think it's a distressed rabbit or something. And yeah, that, absolutely, they yeah. come in. So I said, do not be leaving any young children unattended, especially if they're crying in that. Mate, I probably wouldn't even leave them unattended anyway. Like even a couple no. of meters, especially outside. And a you know, I had a young a mate who wanted was want to go hunting, and a young young baby like it was less than two, and they obviously you know they could eat, you know easy bait for a fox. And I said, mate, just tell the missus there, yeah, keep an eye on that child if it's crying, keep it very well, keep an eye, don't leave it unattended, don't even leave it a couple of meters away you know put in the tent keep it you know yeah or or your eyes are glued on that baby the whole time because you know as you know young children will cry a fair bit you know and yeah it could be the difference so i think there was even one on youtube where they had one i think it was uh, might have been one of those english shooting channels and they had a, ba- a baby with a crying in a pram it wasn't a real baby it was just a um you know, like a rubber baby or whatever, fake baby, yeah. and they had the the caller in there, the baby crying, mate, and up two foxes end up coming in and end up starting mm. chewing on the bloody uh, on its um little uh, what a like little towel it had on it or a little blanket, yeah. and then eventually grabbed it by the leg and started dragging it away. So I said, just 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 warn people because it can it can happen, and you know, just a, a sound of a baby crying is like a distressed you know rabbit or they just know distress. I mean, I used to call foxes with a with a fox pro. And mm. would they have these sounds on there that have never ever existed in Australia? Like I, m- I remember the names. <laughs> like there was Woody Woody Woodpecker. There was uh, Northern Flicker. There was all these different bird sounds, and mate, foxes would come into these sounds, and these 
animals of distress don't even exist in Australia. So it's uh, my mate goes, I can't believe they're coming to these mouse sounds and these yeah. yeah these these bird sounds that don't even exist. And I go, oh mate, they they know the sound of distress, man. They they know holy, this could be a free meal, and they've got to act on it. So and sometimes you just look and we're like, we might have the call her out 20 30 meters in front of us and my goes oh nothing here and i go nah look over there mate on the edge of the on the edge of the tree line head sticking out and he goes oh shit okay yeah <laughs> wow yeah, and looking I said, at you look at yeah. you staring at you waiting to come out into the open just you know taking it easy and i go well, mate okay your shot take a shot man you know it's only 70 meters away to the tree line go for it you know and you know mm. it's so interesting so i always tell people that just be careful when you're taking you know you if you, if you, you know, hopefully that you know a lot, a lot of people aren't doing that, taking their young babies out. But hey, if you <laughs> if you still want to do that, and you know, because again, you know, again, this can happen at campgrounds. So again, That's babies right, yeah. crying, you're on the edge of a bush, you go camping. It's a, it's a similar situation. You know, you got wild animals out in the bush, foxes, anything looking for a free meal that you know a distress sound. You know, be careful. But getting back to the dogs, I mean, when you you're sort of shooting them, are they what sort of condition they in? I think I saw one of your Instagram photos, and one looked pretty beat up. It looked kind of thin, a lot of lot of sort of ribs in it. But are they generally in good condition health wise? Yeah, they are. Um, you know, depending on what time of the year as well. You know, like you'll see um, when we're in drought, they're probably not in, in, in as good a condition. But certainly when there's crops around and and the feed is good, like like other native animals, I guess uh, they, they are in good nick. You know, like they. As the dog gets older, you know, they've never had a bath, so they're obviously going to be pretty rancid in, in terms of smell. But, um, you know, for someone that's never really washed or been washed, um, you know, they, they are pretty pretty tidy. You know, I've seen I've seen dogs with, you know, ticks on them and so forth, and they still look pretty healthy. They've obviously got, you know, some natural resilience um, against that as well. That, that um white and tan uh bitch that you saw in that photo she was she was shot in the foot a week um a week earlier and i caught up i, I shot a boyfriend and then he was like a, a completely white uh, male and she ran off and I, I took a leading shot of her as she was kind of quartering away and up a hill and i, I led her the right amount but the but i, I was leading in front of her not not a bother as well. Anyway, ended up um, bullet going straight through like front left foot, front right foot. Um, and then a week later, I came across her on dawn, kind of limping across a paddock. And I had that same dog on camera a month or two earlier, and it was pristine, no ribs showing, and you know, glossy coat. And she was in pretty good condition when I took that shot at her. Um, and then there, when I caught up with her a week later, obviously hadn't eaten in a week. Um, you know, and was shaggy looking and, yeah, was going downhill rapidly kind of thing. So, yeah, I've seen, I've come across pups that have been, you know, well, adolescents that have been pretty lean looking, um, ribs showing and all that type of stuff. Um, but in this area, you know, there there is a lot of a lot of feed and a lot of things for it to live on. You know, some dogs that I've shot further out west um, where there's obviously a lot less to eat um, have had ribs showing and so forth, but they've always looked pretty pretty good you know like you know if, you, if, they did, if they had a collar on you you wouldn't you know think that they weren't a pet you know 
Yeah, no, I'm just looking at some. Give people a if you know your your username. I'm looking at it right now. So if you don't know what I do, but um, give them a plug to your Instagram because you've got some good a uh, lot of good photos on here. I'm looking at this one, this uh, game trail um, video, and looks like one, two, three, five of the little bastards. They all look similar. All got sort of yeah, light sandy shoulders and chests and that with a you know, sort of black across the top of the back. Hey, look at their big tails on them. Holy crap, they're good size, yeah. man. Some of these dogs. Yeah, there was, there was seven in that one, and then the video either before it or after it, there were seven in that as well, and they're a different pack um, with with the alpha male being a black dog and the, and the matriarch, she was a, a whitey kind of grey-looking dog. Um, so, yeah, my Instagram is, is my nickname, which is Barno, so it's a number eight instead of a B A R. N O underscore underscore. But if you search any, you know, wild dog hunting or wild dog shooting, hybrid dog hunting, any of that, the most of my, you know, hashtags are to that kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's, there's some mad videos on there of stuff that I've never seen up until you know, a few months ago. Some of those vids aren't that old, Jason. Um, and, you know, that's a, that, there's got a lot of cattle in that area where those animals are. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of these videos from these uh, game trail cams. Yeah, funny little bar. They move funny. They just don't move. They seem to. I mean, perhaps it's my naivete here, but you know, they just don't seem to move like a normal dog, do they? Something about them that's just eerie, isn't there? Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're spooky. Um, yeah, that, that's why I'm, I'm hooked on them, mate. Because uh, you know, when you see them firsthand, as you said before about old mate, he knew something was up sitting there under that tree. When you see him firsthand, every hair on your body's on on edge. You know you you've got to um you've got to somehow get a control of that you know uh, emotion, which is which is part of the the thrill. You know. Yeah, interesting one here. I want to people can't see it, so I'll sort of explain it to them. But January thirty first, you posted this one. Um, it's obviously a, a game trail video. Now, what are they doing here? Because I explain it to people. So basically, there's like a track. It looks like a you know obviously it's not you know. Just a normal track. It's got your people. It's like people have been driving the track. Uh, the dogs come in from the right hand side of the screen. They seem about four of them seem to be sniffing that bloody tree. What are they doing there? Is there was there another dog scenting it? What, what's happening there? Yeah, so that because they're uh, all interested in the same thing, eh? And then a couple, yeah. about four of them are smelling it, and then two end up sort of just smelling it for a ten sec, five ten seconds. Then two of them run off, and two are still there. Then eventually they start to move on. So what's going on there? So, yeah, that's a marker tree, which is why I put the ca- camera on the tree beside it. So I saw – I started. it's kind of like a, a pass through a, through a gap. You've got a creek on one side and not an impassable hill on the other, but it's an easy path for travel. Dogs dogs will always travel the easiest path of travel, you know, like they're, they're going to walk a road or a, or a game trail before they, you know, go through thick bush and so forth, you know, unless they're stalking or, or hunting. Um, so it's always a good place to, to to put a camera because you think, well, this is potentially where they're going to go through anyway. So that tree, I'd seen cattle rubbing on that tree and I'd seen um, uh, tracks, decent-sized you know, pig tracks and boar tracks going right up to that tree as well. So I, I marked that uh, that tree myself, mate, when I relieved myself and, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. they they you know, it's my territory too, you know. So, it's like um, I own this territory, bitch, <laughs> you know. And- <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, and, and, mate, every single, I've seen, I've got wallabies on camera sniffing that tree, I've got pigs rubbing up against it. 
dogs pissing on it, dogs scratching around it, cattle rubbing on it, you know, like, um, yeah, it, it's just a, a little, um, what they call those things they found in the desert over in America, those monolithics, is like that's, that's what that tree is. And <laughs> if you can find one, put a camera near it because you'd just be amazed what you can see go past it. That, that, that's a absolute honey hole uh, where that camera is. And there's an, another one only a kilometre or so from it where – there's an, another video there where a mob of pigs runs. Um, a mob of pigs runs uh, left to right, and they always travel in that direction. They seem to have some type of loop, and it's actually east to west. And then I've never seen them travel back the other way. And within, like, I set my video cameras only on video, and I put them on two minute intervals for triggers. Um, and like four minutes later, the pigs have come back the other way, and I'm looking at the video footage. Going, what? I've never seen these pigs move west to east before what's going on there and then bang here's a here's a wild dog chasing this mob of pigs and there were a heap of little suckers with um with the the sows and they weren't real big sows you know they're only like the size of a dog sow and this we're wild dogs circling trying to trying to have a chomp at these uh these little suckers you know and to capture that you know like david attenborough would spend it but a year trying to get footage like that i couldn't believe i found it on a um on a trail camera, you know, like it's just to see that engagement. <laughs> to see that engagement between those two, uh, those two species, you know, and and there is not a single sucker left on that on that property. Like that, that's the same property where um, those bigger packs are, and they're, they're, even though sows are gone now, they've just cleaned cleaned a lot up. There's only you know eighty kilo plus boars left there that I'm that I'm picking up on tracks and, and on cameras. So you know they're I've obviously got a taste for bacon. <laughs> Don't we all? Anyway, uh, we're just going to another quick break. And we'll, when we come back, actually, we're going to talk about, you know, calibers and so forth and distances. I think that'll be good, man. So we'll just go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Gunkeeper has been developed by the National Shooting Council to help gun clubs with cash grants to help them keep members and keep their doors open. It also helps gun dealers and other shooting businesses attract and keep customers with incentives. If you run a gun club or gun business, make sure you put your hand up for Gunkeeper today. For more information, go to the National Shooting Council's website at nationalshooting.org.au. All right, Josh, what are we nailing these bloody dogs with, mate? What's the what's the go-to calibre and what distances? Mate, um, I, I made the decision to go with the the queen of the what do they call the they call it 270 the king of the rifles and the 243 the queen of the rifles i um yeah i went with the two, <laughs> two, two i went with the 243 mainly because of um it's it's flexibility you know like um what it can do you know uh, I've, I've taken fallow um decent sized pigs dogs foxes you know all that type of stuff I, I kind of tripped over um buffalo river ammo when it first came out uh in 243 um they've got it in like 70 grain 87 v max and 100 grain soft points and my two 243s just love the the 87 um 87 grain v maxes and the 100 grains they were all under an inch at 100 no problem. Um, so I ended up going with the the heavier pills just in case you know it's a bigger pig or or whatever. It doesn't make too much of a mess of a of a dog. Um, I think it's ideal really because it's it's flat shooting. It's got a fair bit of fair bit of punch to it, um, mate. I've shot dogs from 
300 and under. Um, when, when I missed um, that, those three dogs that were um, uh, pulling down that steer um, by miscalculating, you know, trying to calculate what the drop was going to be at that distance, you know, I, I used to do a bit of dialing to, you know, but you often just don't have that time in, in that situation. Um, I then started to progress a little bit into, you know, ballistic turrets and that type of stuff. But, um, yeah, I've always found... The, the two four three, you know, a, a zero on at fifty mil high at a hundred, and you know it's it's pretty well bang on out to two fifty or so, and hold over a little bit at three hundred. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 ideal. I, I think you know a two three can run that risk of wounding an animal. Um, you know, it's obviously going to drop off a bit more as well. Um, yeah, I ended up going with that. I, I don't have any regrets. Changing going with that, I always wanted to go with something that was going to be commonplace. I don't literally have the time to to get into reloading just yet. So being able to find a factory ammo and it, those my two two four threes liked other rounds as well, like it likes the, the ticker ammo and so forth. But yeah, it was just a a match that was too hard to ignore, to be honest. So you're shooting those 100 grains. How does that you – know, when it hits them, I'm sure it just cleans them right up, I bet. Uh, it does, mate. Yeah, it, it does um, pretty well anywhere, you know. Um, you'll, you'll always have pass-throughs and so forth. But I, I think um, on a, on a, some of these dogs are of a fair size, but I, I think it's a pretty humane way. I, I very, very rarely have any of them required um, another bullet. You know, I'm not – I don't shoot these things with air scalps anymore, so it doesn't worry me too much more if there's there's more damage and you're not going to get a scalp off it to be able to get the bounty. Um, yeah, it's it's a good flexible round. It makes a mess of foxes, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, to be honest, now I've gone into a few bigger calibers um, for other purposes. Um, I could probably step back to those 87 V Maxes because they're they'll, they'll shoot a bit flatter than the 100 grainers. Yeah, I've had pretty good success with the, the not wild dogs, obviously, but just on game anyway, even small game to, to foxes with the 87 grain VMAX. Holy crap, does a good job. Mm, <laughs> Certainly yeah, does no, a good job. It's great to be able to get it in a, in a factory ammo that's, that's so accurate, you know. Mm. Exactly. What what about, um, you know, like when you're shooting them, is this more opportunistic and if they see you are they generally gone or are you are you howling or calling because i just know a lot of guys that sometimes they'd get the howl on or they get this little bloody thing and you know they start mm. howling with this howling thing and and they end up sort of coming in because they're territorial is that something you do or not see them plug no, them so hope for the best yeah so no i've always been more on the approach of you know that kind of silent ninja um kind of kind of approach to them um the hearing is obviously excellent, and their senses like the the a dog's sense of smell is like ten thousand times that of a human, or something ridiculous. So, I've always been of the approach to um, you know tippy toe around. To, to, as I said earlier, you know, working out where they are. Like people say, oh, well, you know, where where do you find pigs? Well, they are where they live. You just have to work out where they live. Um, and you know, be be out there in the bush frequently enough, and you'll eventually come across them. Um, working out where they live, you know, as I said before, source of water, source of food, source of fun. You know, they're, they're, they'll always be around cattle properties and goat properties and sheep properties because they, they that's what they like to to kill. You know, like that's their their sport, I guess you'd say. 
Um, you know, I if I do come across a dog, you know, ninety percent of dogs that I have come across don't know that I'm there. I'm I'm doing it, you know, completely silently. I'm I'm in camo. Um, that gives I think camo people a lot of confusion about what that does and doesn't do. I think it gives a hunter a lot more confidence as well. So whether it makes a difference for what the animal can and can't see, it certainly helps uh, in confidence. And you've got, you've got to have that when you're out there doing any type of hunting, I, I feel. Um, if I do come across a, a dog that, that's walking around or on its doing its business, you know, as I said before, most of them that I'm coming across in those early hours in the morning, they're hunting. So they're not looking for out for a predator they're not looking out for me they're trying to track down you know with their senses you know uh something to eat you know so they're not really alerted to me um if i do come across a dog at, at distance um and i need to stop it um because it's moving too quickly i'll do you know i've been successful with, with kissing noises with dog whimpers um you know, uh, those type of noises that your normal pets would kind of make. Um, you know, saying that, I've, I've, I've howled a few a few in. Um, howling a dog in can be risky too because you can come in in a real fucking hurry, um, you know, and you've got a dog that you don't know where it's coming from and all of a sudden it's at 100 metres or it's at 150 metres and it's running flat out at you. Um, you know, you, you've got to be pretty good. Uh, with your rifle, uh, we're like, and- let's get the shotgun out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's what that's what you see the Yanks do, mate. Like, I'd, uh, carry both. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the coyote corn and that, that those guys ever do. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome to do some of that shit. Because yeah. um, you never you know. know so- sometimes they're just sitting out there. Next minute, they are charging in. It's like thirty to forty kilometers an hour, and they're like, "Oh crap! You better get the. Bad you know, they've got to try and you know, you got to try and you know, pull it up, man. It's like, oi, oi, and oh crap! Mm. And then it pulls up pretty quick, but. I, I pretty well, not exclusively, but I, I hunt ninety percent of the time on my own. So I think use of calls is certainly a, a effective. I've seen mates that are trappers up up north, um, um, like Aidan Sullivan, a few of those guys. They have great success at night uh, with calls. You know that sound's going to carry a lot further. Dogs are going to be out hunting them. Uh, that, those guys have got the gear. They got the thermal gear, and and they're getting them in quite successfully. I mean. I don't get enough sleep as it is, so you know, going out at night's not going to really be an option, uh, you know, for me to do. So yeah, during the, during the day, um, I think if you were going to, if I was on a call, you know, I'd want to have a mate with me, so you're increasing your odd, odds um, and chances. I think one of the most important things about wild dogs, and if you are going to take a shot, you know, don't miss. Like you're, if that dog's shot at and you miss. Um, it's educated now, you know, it, it's, it starts putting together that puzzle of what was that smell that he smelt that it hadn't smelled before and then all of a sudden something's gone whizzing past him and there's been a loud noise and then it bolts 100 mile an hour and, you know, you, you've educated that dog on how to be even smarter and they just become harder and harder and harder to, to get, you know. They, they're not with properties around here, like they're not going to stay on one property, they're going to become someone else's problem. So, you know, it's... It's easy to say you don't miss, but yeah, just mate, you've got to be confident, you know, uh, confident in your shot, or just don't waste, don't risk it, you know. 
Mate, I'm seeing a lot of uh, gun porn on here. A lot of um, <laughs> looks like a GRS stock we've got here. We've got a couple of shotguns. So tell us about the guns, man. What do you like? I guess you don't, don't just own a two, four, three. Based on what I'm seeing here, I'm probably seeing a, a 17. It has HMR. I don't know. Tell us about the yeah. guns you got. What do you like? What's your favourite? What's the go? Mate, um, I'm probably a little bit boring. I I, I do love um, tickers. I've, I've got a, a few of them, um, and I'm a fair a fair fan of, of loopholes as well. You know, um, they're just a reliable combination that works. Um, I've got a couple of tickers. I've got a, that that one that's in the GRS is a is a CTR uh, T3 um, in two four three. Um, it's it went into that GRS stock a little while ago, uh, and I actually it's not as heavy. I think it's four and a half kilos or so. It's not as heavy as what what you think. I just still do a fair bit of hunting with it. Um, I carry it for I can go on a hunt and walk, you know, five or six k carrying that. Um, Without any real dramas, you know, I, I bought it because of the 10 round box mag um, and just, you know, I've come across mobs of pigs and been able to take out you know, five or six of them with with um, with 10 rounds, you know, which you just wouldn't be able to do with a, a small capacity. Um, the, the My my deer gun is a Ticket T3X Superlight in, um, in 30.06. Um, one pretty well uh, directed me towards uh, that is a good caliber for what I what I kind of needed, um, and it's got a it's just had a new scope put on it, a new uh, VX three I three point five to ten. Um, the other two four three is a Seiko A seven. Uh, that was the first kind of centerfire I bought six or seven years ago when I got back into it, um, and and probably why I kind of started to favour and lean towards um, tickers so much because um, they're pretty closely related. Like the A7s, the the the, the base or bu- budget version of a Seiko, you know, they're not a two and a half, three thousand dollar gun like the seventy fives or eighty fives or um, or the you know all the wild stuff they've come out with now it just points beautifully you know it's they're, they're all um you know obviously tickers very accurate doesn't take long you don't have to try too many different brands of ammo to to find one that it loves um that little uh, 17 hmrs are a wirac wh66 so i was I was down to buy an Anschutz um hmr um but ended up going with that um and it's a factor I've made it's it's five shots half an inch at a hundred like it is it is phenomenal it's got a little kind of bull barrel on it um I, I do a fair help out the in-laws a fair bit with um some of their problems we used to do a bit of root culling and so forth and that little rifle's deadly for headshots out to 120 130 um and growing up with 22s and and all of them I wanted something that was more accurate with that than, than what they are and more consistent um, to, to teach my kids with, you know, as they get older, both of the girls have fired that rifle and, you know, um, yeah, it's a, it's a little pack driver. Yeah, there's a, there's a few shotguns there too. I got a Adler 20-inch, uh, like a Cleaver's special edition kind of unit, which just a scrub gun mainly run solids and nine pellets in them for, for pigs at close quarters kind of thing. Um, yeah, try try you try to keep the numbers down. There's a few that I, a few of them that I don't have anymore that you offload to fund other projects. Hmm. <laughs> you got a few there. <laughs> so, wait, which one's your favourite? Number one, you can only pick one. 
Uh, if you, if you could only have one, you'd, you'd have to go big. Yeah, I love that super light. It's it's um yeah, it's just a, a ergonomics on it, a grade. It's, it's you know half sexy with with a fluted barrel on it. You, you hardly know it's there. I think it's two. I think with a scope, it's it's just over three kilos. It's like two point eight without a scope. Um, yeah, and it's yeah obviously a fair bit of flexibility with with a thirty oh six. You know, I think you can go from. 120 grains all the way up to over 200 if you needed to. So, um, yeah, if you'd only have one gun, you'd probably have that because you, you know, I've shot wild dogs with that that gun. You know, it's um, it it can it can do uh, everything if you could only have one. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just love. I got I got to stop buying more. That's my problem at the moment. It's scopes for me. I just keep buying scopes. Sometimes I don't even have enough guns to put them on. But you know, hey, I might need them for the future. That's how I justify it to myself, anyway. But I, I think you get to that point where you know, and I'm kind of that to that point now. I, I probably can do without one of those two four threes and and plug plug the hole of, of a caliber between a two four three and a thirty oh six. Um, but I, I kind of reached that point. A year or so ago, where I just started up upgrading my optics. You know, the I'm happy with the rifles. Um, just start upgrading the optics. You know, buying buying better scopes and better binos and, and better rangefinders and, and that type of gear. Um, I, got, I get to use my rifles a lot, and I've still got the approach. If if, it, if I don't shoot it, it's, you know, if I haven't used it in a couple of months. Why have I got it? Yeah, I totally agree, man. I probably was the same too. I had guns I didn't use and, you know, I'd be putting, just getting guns for the sake of it. I think we don't even use the ones I've got, you know, I'd rather have less and, yeah, and, and you, put better and optics them. on yeah. them. Yeah, and use them and put better optics on them and, you know, so that's what I try and do these days when I buy something. Like, again, it depends on what, what sort of purpose. If it's something I'm going to, you know, like when I was talking to one a couple of, you know, a couple of months ago, even, you know, I would saw that seven mil magnum. I thought I was doing some load development uh, probably about a week and a half ago. Oh, I go, man, after like <laughs> 30 shots, this thing was really starting to, even with the uh, proper recoil pad, it was, man, it was starting to tear me up a bit, you know. And I, <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, this thing's light, lightweight, you know, it's, 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 it's got some kick to it, you know, and like, oh, it was pretty decent because I've got a proper, like an aftermarket recoil pad. I can't remember which one I've got. You've got, um, you got, you got to have them, mate. Yeah, they just, yeah. you know, I've even got those um, limb savers on my two four threes. They just they just make it a more enjoyable experience. You know, I've, I've never suffered from uh, a flinch or anything like that, but they just they make it more pleasurable. You know. Yeah, even I think it's the and you just reminded me as I couldn't think of the name while I was saying it, but it was the Limb Saver Air Tech, and yeah. these things are pretty good. Like I think, man, like 20, 30, 20, yeah, it's thirty shots of a bench. You know, for me, I'm a bit tall, I'm tall, six foot three almost, so it's hard to sort of get down behind it, and you know, just the awkward position. You know, when you, it's always funny when you're out in the bush eh, and you're shooting, or you're standing up shooting, or you're lying down. You're funny, you don't feel it then when you're actually engaging yeah. game, but when you, when you're on a bench, you feel every bloody thing. Too much else going on. Yeah. Great, yeah. mate. Last, I guess, last question. Um, if you had to pick, like, if guys want to find out, you know, they want to, they might think there's wild dogs in the area. What do you say? Mm. Two, two to three tips, man, for people to, you know, like, basically get onto some wild dogs. What should they do? I mean, you know, trail cameras, just anything, man. What do you think would be the top two to three tips to, to end up taking a few down? Yeah, you got to do the miles, I guess. You know. Um, You've, you've got to try and track them. I think that's the easiest way if you su- suspect them being in the area is uh, work out where they um you know, where they're moving and get cameras in there. You know, the, the other thing too is farmers see lots of shit other people don't sh- don't see because they're up at bloody at first light every day. So you've got to be up there 
um, you've got to be functioning around those times. You know, it's like people who go hunting deer and I've never seen any deer. I've been hunting for you know three years, never found them. Well, are you hunting first light and last light? Like that's that's when they're going to be most animals are going to be the most active. So yeah, focus on them. Cameras are just an easy way, you know. Like um, they they really are. They're, they're your eyes when you're not there, and you'd be surprised what walks past a camera when you think that there's nothing in the area. Like there's that, that tree we were talking about before. There's cats and echidnas and all types of shit walking along that road. Like it's unbelievable. Like what you what you can pick up on a camera, you know. I've caught poachers on cameras, you know. Like I've had, had um, property owners, you know, like call the police on footage that I've provided, you know. So you, you know, I set up a camera on a dam. There were no trees anywhere near the camp, near the dam, so I, I snapped off a branch, you know, about two foot long, drove it a foot into the ground, and put a camera like a foot away from the the water's edge um, on a wallow, trying to work out whether it was a deer wallow or a pig wallow, and yeah, there's two peanuts in the middle of the night with bloody shotguns and bombs <laughs> and, and, and head torches on. But the fucking idiots, the, the camera was four metres from them. We could almost ID one of their faces. Like, you know, just yeah, cameras are – and, you know, I, I run a lot of those uh, King's cameras. I've got a few mates that run the Aldi ones. Like I used to have the, the loophole ones, the four or $500 cameras with the remote control, download devices and all that crap. But, you know, you're better off. I sold them and I probably I'll probably run five or six um, of those Kings ones now. They're they're about a hundred bucks set up with an SD card with batteries and you know, just put the bloody things you know put them put them everywhere and uh, if you're not getting hits on it, move them somewhere else. Um, you know you'd be really surprised what you pick up with you know cats and foxes and just what's moving around. You know um, obviously the obvious one too is you know if, if there is if something has been killed. Um, you know, put put a camera on it. Um, you know, something may come past in the area um, that that may not go too close to the carcass, but it might pass pass by, and you know that, that might lead you as to what killed it or what's feeding on it. You know, like I've certainly seen wild dogs feeding on carcasses, so you know, I'm not saying that they don't uh, don't eat them if they're hungry. They'll bloody they'll eat, eat each other. You know, so. It's always amazing what you see, eh? When you when you're not there, like people, or I got CCTV at, at my house, and it's always like, yeah, you bastard, what are you doing? This look, and you just see some suspicious people, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, like not just yeah. people, but I mean, I guess out in the bush, you're hopefully going to see some, you know, good game. You're going to be able to shoot. That's mostly, but yeah, even mm. in city life, it's always f- funny what you see when they think you're not there, but you got your eyes on them. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, fantastic show, Josh. Uh, talking about uh, you know not just hunting in Queensland, but about guns, about you know wild dog hunting. And again, guys, if you want to check him out, you can go on uh, Instagram. It's Barno underscore underscore with a number eight as the B. So eight A R N O underscore underscore. Check him out. He's got some great uh, photos on there, especially about wild dogs and uh, some really good uh, trail cam video footage. So yeah, check him out. And if you you know you commenting on his stuff, let him let you know. You heard him here on Australian Hunting Podcast. So, Josh, thanks for your time, mate. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, Jason, appreciate it, mate. Um, yeah, we keep talking. Cheers. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.